0: Hey fellowship family, on behalf of our elders and staff, I want to express gratitude to all of you for your patience and encouragement during the pandemic. It was an unprecedented time for all of us. And though the disease is still with us, it seems we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. As the elders made difficult decisions on behalf of our church, seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they guided us well through the process and kept both you and our staff safe. And speaking of our staff, they have done a phenomenal job providing live stream content for adults, students, and children. And now they're working hard to open services again to try and get us back to a sense of normal. But a friend reminded me this week as I mentioned the word normal, that normal is a setting on your clothes dryer. And he's right. I'm not sure normal should be our goal. God wants more for us than that. However, we are back to in-person services, and we want you to be back. Live streaming of services will continue to be a convenience for us when we are traveling or aren't feeling well. But it isn't the best option, nor what God intended for the body of Christ on a regular basis. We need to be together, worshiping, praying, studying God's word weekly, both in community and in corporate worship celebrations. I was out of town recently over a weekend, and it was great to be able to attend fellowship services virtually. But doing so will never replace the community, collaboration, and culture of worshiping together as a body. We also need volunteers to work in our children's ministries. Get in there and invest your lives in our kids. We shouldn't have to close classes because we don't have enough workers. Our church finances took a hit as well during COVID. And I hope each of us this week will examine our giving to God through fellowship to help us accomplish God's vision and mission for our church. We need to catch up to where we were this time last year, or maybe even exceed it. Remember, we can't outgive God who has given so generously to us. One last thing. It seems our nation has never been more divided and certainly never more so in so many different directions. Fellowship Bible Church should be a lighthouse of hope and unity in our community and in our world. We are bound by a common purpose based on the truth of scripture and we will never waver from that foundation. When everything seems chaotic, let us be rock steady because we know our God is in control, come what may. He is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's love well. And let people see Christ in us. God bless.
1: Well, good evening, Mosaic. My name is Will Blanchard. And uh, we are so glad that you're here tonight. Whether you're joining us online or here in the auditorium, we are grateful to be able to worship together tonight. You may notice that we've got several of our uh, community group leaders that are uh, over another building tonight during this five o'clock hour uh, for some training. And if you're seated in this chair right now and you're going, oh man, I meant to sign up for that and be at that, I got good news for you. We're going to do the same training two weeks from tonight. And so if you're a community group leader or an emerging leader who just desires to make disciples and wanna be a part of that training, we've got some training designed for you that'll be during the five o'clock hour on the 26th, two weeks from tonight. We wanna serve you dinner, provide you vision, and an equipping opportunity to learn about community here at Mosaic. Also, Mosaic, next week, we're gonna have the opportunity to do a Samaritan Church commissioning service. Uh, You don't wanna miss it. It's just an expression of multiplication here at Mosaic how God is using leadership here at Mosaic to go out to bless and to expand the kingdom uh, here in Northwest Arkansas. Also want to let you know that here at Mosaic, we function like a family. And so as you heard from Mickey just a few moments ago, uh, we don't shy away from letting you know of opportunities to serve, opportunities to to step into new levels of, of generosity. We're very committed here to never making announcements in such a way that is, a, is things are promoted like a guilt trip, like we need more people serving in kids, so you got to sign up, and we're going to stay here tonight until 12 people sign up in kids. We're not going to treat you that way. And yet at the same time, we, we operate like a family, and we don't shy away from sharing needs and trusting that God's going to raise up and stir in the hearts of leaders in such a way that people can live out their passions and fulfill ministry. And so it is our deep desire here at Mosaic that everyone connected to Mosaic is contributing. That we're not just a body that shows up as a bunch of consumers sitting and absorbing, but rather to really mature in our faith in Jesus. We not only need to be fed and nourish the word and experience the empowering presence of Jesus in worship, but we also need to become maturing members who step up and lead the next generation. And so you'll see on the slide tonight two of our key leaders here at Mosaic, Jen and Lori, who are in need of some leaders to step up and help make disciples in our kids' ministry. And so if that's a passion of yours, I would encourage you to email those ladies and step up and begin to participate in ministry here at Mosaic. One final thing before we dive into worship and teaching tonight. I simply want to tell you, Mosaic, thank you. Thank you for last week. We had the opportunity last week to serve several hundred, a couple hundred uh, Camp War Eagle uh, counselors who were just starting off their summer here, investing in the lives of next-gen leaders across northwest Arkansas. We were able to serve them a meal. There were some prayer cards that uh, Mosaic, you so graciously grabbed on the way out and committed to pray for those counselors over the next seven to eight weeks as they invest in the lives of students. And I just wanna tell you thank you and how honored I am to be a part of a church that takes that kind of hidden multiplication, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere, leadership seriously. That's refreshing. So if you would, Mosaic, let's stand to our feet Let's invite the Lord's presence here tonight. Let's trust that he's going to speak to us through his word as we, as we worship him. Would you pray with me, Mosaic? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here. We are so grateful to be able to magnify the name of Jesus, to gather as the body of Christ, to function like a family, not a dysfunctional family, but to function like a family of broken people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. God, thank you for that privilege. Lord, we come with an expectant spirit tonight, trusting that as we worship you, as we magnify Christ, as we study your word, that you, Lord, are gonna speak to us and so we have a posture of listening and receiving tonight, trusting that you're going to speak. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Mosaic, let's put our hope in Christ tonight. Let's magnify the name of Jesus his word. of all. to die it is finished was his cry now it tonight. God, we proclaim the cross. God, we proclaim our hope in you, in you alone. Jesus, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Jesus, as we move into this time of teaching, God, open our ears, open our hearts. We welcome you in. Change us. Change us, Jesus. We love you.
3: Amen. You have a seat. Amen. Can we thank our worship team? Yeah. So sweet. So sweet. Good evening. My name's Colin. Uh, glad you're here with us. Um, if you have a Bible, a device, you're going to need it. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture this evening. But if you have one, uh, Genesis 15 is where we'll start. And uh, we're actually in the book of Hebrews. But uh, I'm about to go like super nerdy with the Old Testament for a little while, and it'll all make sense soon. So uh, if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis 15, and then from there we'll also go into Hebrews chapter 8. If you are just joining us, uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews uh, for a little bit now, um, and just to give you a brief overview, or maybe you've been following us along, uh, I love the way that Swindoll puts it uh, in this. He says that the book of Hebrews, ultimately this letter is written in regards to the superiority of Christ and his person uh, as our priest and for our life. And so the whole letter is written to this group of Hebrews, these groups of Christians who have been growing up in a Jewish culture with Jewish heritage and they have now come to follow Jesus and they're wondering whether or not they should return back. Should we go back to the temple? Should we go back to the old way? Should we live under the Mosaic covenant rather than continue to press on and follow Jesus? And the author who is not known to us writes this letter of how Jesus is so much more superior. He is better, first and foremost, superior to the prophets, the angels, Moses, the Sabbath. He moves then as our priests, which is the section we're in tonight, and ultimately for how we, as Christians, he gives us these let us have, let us have, let us have. And uh, we're in a kind of a a three-part series right now. That involves Jesus as our high priest, the superiority of him as our priest. And so chapters 5 through 10, if you were with us last week, we looked first and foremost at this, this guy named Melchizedek in the Old Testament, who was both a priest and a king, and that through his order, now Jesus operates both as a priest and a king. He's not just any priest That he actually has a superior priesthood. And tonight, we'll dive a little bit into the new covenant and the sacrifice that that this new priest brings. And next week, we'll close with how that priest, this new priest, gives us greater access to God. Uh, But first and foremost, I think it's probably good for us to understand a term we don't use a lot um, outside of biblical circles, but it's the term covenant covenant. And so many of us, when we hear as Western American people, we hear covenant, and what's the first thing that comes to mind? Marriage, marriage. That you have a man and a woman standing before God and witnesses to come together to make these promises with one another to join in marriage and and, and to go about this life together. The uh, Hebrew term is berit, say berit. Berit, it's a very good term. We're gonna say it a lot tonight. Uh, The term berit actually has a very significant meaning that it's not just uh, promises, it's actually a relationship that you're entering into a formal relationship with someone choosing to berit. That is to come into agreement. The New Testament is diatheke, diatheke, which is an inheritance or a will. Like if someone were to pass, it would come across as this inheritance, a will, an agreement of said terms that we'll enter into. And so in summary, a, a, a covenant is a chosen formal relationship where two parties partner together. They come together, binding promises to one another to work together for a common goal or a common purpose. And uh, this is actually something in the ancient Near East uh, where this was a pretty common practice. And when you were making a covenant with somebody, a barit, there was actually some things that would be involved. And so I need a volunteer. I'm going to call on you. Come on up. Come on, Corey. Everyone give my friend Corey a round of applause. And so if we were going to have a berit, a a relationship to choose to enter in together, um, it would be something that was, whether it was we were selling land or uh, if I had a donkey and he wanted to give this or marriage, whatever it was, uh, we were going to berit together and there would be some steps Um, More commonly and significantly, let's say Corey's a king and I'm a king, and we have our kingdoms, hey, king, and we want to enter into a treaty together, a berit, a relationship that we will protect one another from foreign enemies and share our things. You cool with that? Okay, Okay, cool. Corey's in. So what would happen first is a, a preamble. It would be, hi, I'm Colin, and this is... I'm the king of whatever land, he's the king of this land. And then we'd move into, these are the terms of the agreement, our berit. And then from there, we'd continue to go all the way through who are our witnesses that are involved. Um, if it was a pagan culture, which most of the time it was, we would actually give offerings before the gods that we worshiped. And then we'd come to this part in the berit ceremony known as the solemn ceremony. And the Hebrew word is karat berit, and it means to cut a covenant. And so we would take a goat like my friend here. Go ahead, Kels. So cute. Now this can feel weird for people who didn't like grow up on farms, but this is very, uh, this is how they did it in the ancient Near East. So I would bring a goat and my friend Corey would bring a goat and we would cut it in half. And we'd spread out the pieces and then Corey and I would hold hands, come on. And with the blood running between it, we would promise, make an oath to one another. Hey, what has happened to this goat, Corey? If I break the covenant, let what happened to this goat happen to me. And then Corey would say,
2: same
3: thing. Same thing. <laughs> and so now it's all bloody. This is in the days of sandals, and Corey and I together would walk through the blood, and then we'd collect the pieces, we'd throw a party, and we eat it. Let's give Corey a round of applause. Great job, Corey. A Karat Barit, very traditional, and, and this would be happening all across the ancient Near East. And how beautiful is it that for, for mankind to enter into these relationships, to partner together, how beautiful is it that the triune God desires to partner with us? See, the whole Old Testament, I know we're gonna, we're gonna fly through it. You can understand it through these covenants, these berits, first and foremost, beginning in the Edenic, where God creates Adam and Eve, creates mankind as image bearers. That is his representatives, his partners, to go and rule. He gets a mandate in Genesis 1, rule the world, fill it, to go and partner with God in bringing his goodness and his glory to all the world. How do they do? They don't keep their end of the covenant, but our God is a covenant-making, covenant-fulfilling, covenant-keeping God. And so he steps in in Genesis chapter 3, uh, 315. He gives the proto-evangelium, that is the first gospel. He makes a promise that through the line of this woman will come someone who crushes the head of evil and brings about the kingdom of God. And from there, humanity continues to not hold up their end of the bargain. We've come all the way to Noah, and Noah is chosen to enter into a berit, a covenant, a partnership with God, that he is not going to flood the earth again. Instead, that through Noah, he'll continue that promise from Genesis 3.15. And after Noah, we come to a man named Abraham. And Abraham has a couple of covenants from Genesis 12 to 15. But look in a Genesis chapter 15 with me. After this, after what? Well, last week we talked about uh, Abraham meeting a guy named Melchizedek, and this was a king and a priest who brought blessing to him. This all ties together in Hebrews, I promise. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram has some hesitation. O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain Childless. See, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they they were not able to have children, and God has made a promise to them, a covenant, that through their line, through their children, will continue that proto evangelium all the way back in 315. Through them will come the seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, Verse 3 You've given me no children, so a servant of my house will hold the heir, and the Lord has other plans. This man will not be your heir. Uh, but a son coming from your own body will be. And he took him outside and looked up at the heavens. Here comes Yahweh, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God, entering into a ceremony with Abram. He took him outside, look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited him to righteousness he also said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. Abram still has questions. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these, all of these, to them and cut them in two and arranged them opposite of each other. Verse 11, verse 11, uh, the birds came down for prey to eat it, but Abram drove them away in 12. As the sun was setting, where is Abram? Uh-oh, we have a barit ceremony taking place here. There's a partnership that's about to happen. God is entering into a covenant promise with Abram, and he's sleeping. He falls into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness comes over him, and then the Lord says know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not of their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Skip down to verse 17. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firing pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. All throughout the Old Testament, when God presents himself as present, it's always accompanied with fire many times. And so here in this moment, Abraham's off sleeping. The barit ceremony is taking place. And who is it that crosses through the blood of this animal? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. God makes a covenant with Abram, but it's not Abram who's walking through it. It's actually Yahweh himself. This covenant will not be the blood of Abram that's shed. And then you move from there after the Abrahamic covenant, we come to the Mosaic covenant. So now you have that God has led his people, uh, Israel, out of slavery to the Egyptians. And at Mount Sinai, they receive this call that you are going to be a kingdom of priests, that you will be my representatives. I want to enter into a partnership with you, Israel to share my goodness and glory. And so Moses sets them up and they get the commandments. And from the commandments, they uh, have all the different priests. They get an ironic priesthood of how they're to do sacrifices and atone. They have the tabernacle, that is the place of God's presence where they'll go and worship. And all of this is to point to man's need for grace because Israel can't keep up. They do not hold their end of the covenant. Continually, they can't meet it, but God steps in again, and he makes a partnership with King David, Israel's king, and says, through this line will come a kingdom that will not end, it will last forever. And Israel still, it's not enough, and they continue to abandon this covenant-making, covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God. And then the prophets come, and Israel's, and now been going through a couple of uh, different uh, times of exile with Assyria and Babylon, and they're living in foreign lands, and they no longer know this covenant-making, covenant-keeping, covenant-fulfilling God. And the prophets begin to prophesy of a new covenant, something that will come that will be completely different than the last, where God will not only step in and make a covenant, The prophet Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you that he's going to change the very heart of his people to walk in relationship and partnership with him. And then it's silent. And on steps a man named Jesus. And he comes in and he begins to heal and teach and preach the kingdom of God. And who is this claiming to be in the line of David? Who is this that is coming and claiming kingship over Israel? And not only that, the priests who are following the Aaronic priesthood, who is this man who's claiming to forgive sin? That's our job. We are the ones who atone. We offer the sacrifices. Israel brings the sacrifice to us. We take it to the tabernacle and we offer it. Who is this Jesus claiming to be a priest? And we have a new prophet and a new king who forgives sinners and ushers in the kingdom of God. And it's with that, that understanding of berit, of a covenant that we step into Hebrews chapter So if you can, would you just imagine yourself, first century, you're in a home, and you have a few other followers of Jesus with you, and maybe you or them, that they're scared because they've left the way of Judaism to this new way, and they're starting to wonder, do I need to go back to the priest and offer a sacrifice? Because what if Jesus isn't enough? Do I need to go back to living under the Mosaic law instead of being under God's grace? Because what if God can't cut it? And maybe because persecution's starting to get pretty rough for the Christians, maybe I should abandon the faith altogether. And the teacher writing a letter to that group of Christians says this. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. Don't you love it when good teachers tell you at the top, like, here's what I need you to learn. We do have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty and who served in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So why do all the, the uh, history of Berit? And Because for these Hebrews, these, these uh, Jewish Christians, they have grown up knowing a lot of this. But for us, it's, it's good to step into to go, wow, okay, the author is writing in such a way that he's encouraging us to press on. And he continues, the high priest of a new covenant has a superior ministry that every priest, verse three, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. That is the Mosaic covenant. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build a tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs, as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to, superior to the old one, since in the new covenant is established on better Promises. So first and foremost, Jesus is a high priest. And that what we've just learned from the teacher here is that everything in the Old Testament from the Mosaic law was a shadow, a copy of what Jesus's ministry in heaven looks like now. So picture with me, Jesus next to the Father, mediating, interceding on your behalf. You don't have to go to some temple with your offering. Jesus has a better ministry than that. I love the way uh, theologian and, and reformer Martin Luther said it like this. In his life, Christ is the example showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice satisfying our sins. In his resurrection, he is a conqueror. In his ascension, he is a king. And in his intercession, he is the greatest priest. That right now, in this moment, Jesus has a superior ministry. The teacher continues, verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, that first berit, no place would have been sought for another. Verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, quoting now the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. Notice, it wasn't God who failed on his end. It was man. It was us. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. See, the... Moses' covenant was meant to do one thing and one thing only. It was to reveal sin and show our need for God's grace. That when Moses is outlining all these laws and these things that are required for the kingdom of priests, it's unveiling our desperate need for a better one. And the prophet Jeremiah continues, verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete, outdated, will soon disappear. The teacher's pointing us here, first and foremost, this new covenant. Why is this new covenant so much more superior? Well, first off, it's rooted in God's uh, un- unconditional grace. That it is a gift of unmerited favor, that this is a God who is generous and desires to live this life with his people. So he initiates this covenant so that by his grace, we may come. Not by following some rules or some laws, but simply by what he has done. Secondly, it's, it's an inward transformation. It's God's work within us that the same power, Paul writes, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now is at work within the saints. And that we debate so often of what is wrong in the world and, and Jesus' understanding and in his worldview, it's the human heart. He says in Mark That if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean. For what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Slander and evil, deceit, wickedness, adultery, murder, foolishness, all of the evil things come from within. See, the problem in Jesus' words is not within our actions, it's when the heart behind them. And so in comes his Holy Spirit to dwell with us to be present so that in this new covenant, we have a solution to the deep-seated problem within every single human being. A new heart is available. And then God's invitation is to int- uh, intimate relationship, that we not only uh, are known by God, but that we can know God, that you are a friend of Jesus. He says, I didn't just call you my disciples, I call you friends Paul would say in Romans that you are now children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-rulers with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, and this one's beautiful. And please hear me: the new covenant offers God's total forgiveness. But the largest component of the new covenant—it's not the inward change, it's not the personal relationship, and it's not even the newness of this covenant. It's the means by which God makes it happen. See, it is not the blood of animals or ourselves that will pay this way into the, the new partnership with God. It's on the cross of Christ that the sin of the world was consumed. It's his blood. And then the teacher continues describing the sanctuary. The first covenant it had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary A tabernacle was set up in the first room. There's a lampstand and the table, and he's referring to all of this old covenant. And then he says this down in 11, but when Christ came as the high priest, the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the place of worship. That is that now, not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of this creation, that in this moment, We don't have to go to a temple or a place to encounter the presence of the living God or atone for our sins. Jesus has the better place of worship sitting at the throne of Him who will return again, who loves us, the God of light and love. And Jesus sits on that throne as a better priest, a better king. And lastly, a superior sacrifice. For he did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves like Corey and I earlier. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God to cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve, partner, walk in a covenant with the living God. That you no longer see in the old priestly order, your sin was covered by a sacrifice. Now by the blood of Jesus, your sin is cleansed, which means he sees you spotless, righteous in his eyes. And not only does he see you that way, he invites you to walk with him, to serve him. As Paul would say in Ephesians 2, that it's by grace you have been saved, And it's a gift of God, not anything you've done, so that as God's workmanship created in Christ, we can do the good works which he's already prepared for us to do. Okay, so let's recap real fast. We have an old priest, an old covenant that, that operates in a system that was a good system that God designed, but mankind just could not keep our end of the bargain. So there would be repeated sacrifice. There would be weekly, uh, daily offerings, annual offerings where the priest would, for the sins of the people, and it would be the blood, not of Israel, but of animals, of others that would be put for their uh, atonement. And it would come for a covering of sin, but it would, just, it would cover sin until the next time, and it would be for Israel only, those who were entering into this covenant with God, and it would be in and out of the Holy of Holies for the, the priest. He would come in the tabernacle, he would go out of the tabernacle and he had all of these ceremonies that he would have to do to even get to that place and not die. So it was, there's an inconsistent, uh, inconsistency and lastly, it would bring temporal blessings, temporary blessings on the people of Israel to continue to try to partner with God and they don't cut it and neither do we and maybe you're approaching Christianity with that kind of mindset that I'm coming here and I'm offering this or I'm giving and I'm trying to do all these things and God, where are you on your end of the bargain? Not so with our new high priest. It was one sacrifice once and for all on Golgotha. And it was not the blood of Romans or Jews or animals. It was the blood of the God man. And it didn't just cover sin, it cleansed it cleansed it, a complete new heart. And it wasn't just for Israel, John 3, 16, it's for God so loved the world, that his offering, his atoning sacrifice, that we can now enter into this covenant relationship, this partnership with God. It's an invitation, not just for Israel, but now for Gentiles as well. And then after his death, resurrection, comes an ascension where he enters into the truest holy of holies, not a copy as, as Moses built, but now standing at the, right next at the throne of the Father. Interceding and he remains there. He doesn't have to come in and out. He's there right now until he returns to bring eternal blessing of a new heavens and new earth, which John describes where there will be no tears. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old things have passed away and God and man will dwell together. That this is the hope. Our inheritance are bereaved. And so the author of Hebrews closes, for this reason Christ is the mediator in this moment of a new covenant, that those who are called, those who have confessed Jesus is Lord, his sacrifice is enough, may receive the promised internal inheritance. And now that he has died as the ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So what do we do with this reality? You see how significant covenant is to God? How do we respond? Well, first and foremost, I think we need to understand this, that you in this room tonight, through the person and the work of Jesus, have the opportunity to partner with God in this life and the next. That everything from the old covenant now that we stand in the new, it is an invitation to image bearers to come and have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you to live this life in such a way that you could not live it without him. And he invites us to join him, to partner with him in Northwest Arkansas and the world. A moment by moment, a day by day in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our cities to join him and his redemptive purposes. A few examples, uh, Michael and Heidi France, They're like, don't call us out right now. But you have to understand something. I've seen these two partner with the kingdom of God, partner with God in this life in such a way that I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and Heidi has stood on a stage and led worship for my kids continually and sat with them. Michael has led small groups, community groups. He has joined from sixth graders all the way up to 60th graders of how to partner with God in this life. And here's what I love is that they're partnering in their home. They're joining God in that new covenant because Chad Franz, one of their kiddos, their oldest said, I have seen my mom and dad provide for me even when I don't deserve it by giving their time and other things for me. Just as Jesus provided a way for us to be with God and we didn't deserve it, I've seen my parents look like Christ in this. Isn't it fun to partner with God in this life? Or how about Callie Day? She's an artist and she comes into these services every Saturday night and she sits there with her journal and she draws sermon analogies. And then she goes, and not only does she draw it for her own edification or to use her artistic gift, she sits across the coffee table with other young women and begins to show them the beauty of scripture and the beauty of God's word. And she's partnering with God in this life to advance his kingdom. I and mean, we've already mentioned them once, but Camp War Eagle counselors, they just got done with their first week where these kiddos who they do not know and these families, they do not know, they're giving all summer, not to make money, not to finish school, but to go and to serve like Jesus, sweating in a cabin, getting yelled at a lot by kids, losing their voice on a daily basis so that they can help one of these little ones come to know and walk with God. Jesus invites you. The covenant-keeping, covenant-making, covenant-sustaining God, fulfilling God invites you to partner with him in this life and the next. So tonight we're, uh, we're going to take communion. And uh, remember that karat barit, the ceremony? It involved a covenant, a sacrifice, and a meal. Jesus is uh, gathered with his disciples in an upper room, And when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Traditionally, in a Passover meal, you would have the wine, you would have the lamb, and you would have the bread. And the disciples come in, they see the wine, they see the bread. Where is the lamb? for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment uh, in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave a blessing and said, this is my body given for you, the sacrifice. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the uh, new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Hmm. And I'm going to ask you tonight, would, would you hold the elements? And we're going to take and eat together. And uh, you're probably one of three people in this room. One, um, maybe you are trying to kind of be like Israel and you are trying to partner with God through religious acts. So you're, you're trying to pray more and you're trying to read scripture more and you're coming to church more and you're hoping that maybe if I do these things, God will hold up his end of the bargain and I love you, but that's a lie from hell. And we need to repent because it is by God's grace and his work and his work alone that we're saved. Secondly, maybe maybe you find yourself ashamed and stuck in sin and you are kind of just like Abraham taking sleeping pills. <laughs> and uh, you wonder if you can ever get out of it. Could God ever love me? And, and I love you, but that's, that's not true in the new covenant. He sees you as spotless and clean and gives you a new heart so that we can walk in this life with him. Or or maybe this is all news and you've never even had the opportunity to understand God wants to partner with me. And uh, we believe in the priesthood of the believer here. So if you are interested in some way, shape, or form of knowing how do I do this life with God, I would just ask you, would you tap someone around you on the shoulder and say, could we get coffee and would you tell me more about that sometime? I would love to learn what it looks like to join God in this life and the next but uh, we're going to hold the elements and then we'll, we'll take and eat together and drink together. But, but before then, I would ask you in this time, however you need to respond to our covenant making, covenant keeping, covenant fulfilling God, would you do so? Father, thanks for welcoming us home. Home to serenity and peace and joy and friendship. Jesus, thanks for your atoning sacrifice and the new covenant which you mediate in this moment. Spirit, in this time, do what you need to do, both within and around us. We love you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.
4: Before the throne of God above a strong perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me my name is graven on his hands my name is written on his far. I know that one.
3: Isn't it? Amen. Uh, to the one who upheld our end of the covenant, divine Master and Friend Jesus Himself, His body broken for you. In remembrance and gratitude, take now and eat. Hmm. not a blood of a blood of a goat or a ram but of him the blood of a new covenant that invites us to live this life with God for eternity take now with gratitude and remembrance and my prayer is you never think of the word covenant the same <laughs> the author of hebrews closes he says this if you would read it aloud with me. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Mosaic family, we love you. Let's go partner well with God this week. If you're new, please don't leave without saying hi to us or someone. If you need help, the info booth in the foyer would love to connect with you. If we can pray with you, please don't hesitate to let us know how and then through that request. And uh, be sure to give each other a nice hug on your way out. Grace and peace to you, Mosaic family. We love you.